Welcome to episode 32 of the Accessibility Craft Podcast, where we explore the art of creating accessible websites while trying out interesting craft beverages. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Equalize Digital, a WordPress accessibility company and the proud creators of the Accessibility Checker plugin. In this episode, we recap our experience at WordCamp US 2023, from accessibility talks to contributor day to being an event sponsor. For show notes and a full transcript, go to accessibilitycraft.com slash 032. And now, on to the show. Hey everyone, it's Amber, and I'm here today with Chris. Hey everybody. And Steve. Hello everyone. And we are going to be talking about WordCamp US 2023 and accessibility around the event and just our experience being there. Uh, But of course, we always start with the beverage first. What are we drinking today, Chris? So continuing my recent theme of it is too damn hot outside in Texas, we've (laughs) got the Alaskan Chillin' Cold IPA, which is supposed to be a very clean and very crisp cold fermented IPA, which um, I was reading about this. Uh, a cold fermented IPA is is um, is an IPA that's been fermented below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's like a cold fermentation, which is supposed to produce smooth, smoother flavor, lower acidity, and just be clean and easy drinking. And I mean, this thing is just, the whole can is just ice cubes and a cute little seal and it's got the word alaska on it and chilling cold and i was like sitting at my desk sweating in this texas heat and i saw this and i was like it just got me i had to i had to get it i know nothing about the brewery or or anything um never had any of their stuff before so excited well, I think to try I, it. I heard on the news that we've had more than 60 days over 100 degrees this summer <laughs> <laughs> it is really hot here so yes this this can which looks like ice floating in water it it does seem quite appealing yeah (laughs) when it's 100 degrees out well normally uh, it's not fermented at a cold temperature it's just like room temperature is that why this is different yeah i mean bacteria yeast likes warm environments um at least for baking the optimal is like 100 degrees fahrenheit so like what it is outside right now um but (laughs) this is done at almost half that temperature so I was a little intrigued by that. Um, and I don't know, just layering cold on top of cold on top of cold just appealed to me in the moment. Yeah. So shall we crack these open? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do All it. Right. Maybe. I can't get it open. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Very foamy right out the gate. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Are you pouring yeah, it into a glass? Or no, no, it, no, it just came foaming right out of the can. Well, you're not supposed to shake the can, Steve. I didn't shake it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, I definitely smell the hops. It's a little citrusy on the nose. Yeah, not, okay. Like, so overwhelming. I see the tasting notes are a little bit like grapefruit, and I kind of do get a grapefruit smell. Like a juicy grape. I like the smell of this. I'm not a huge IPA fan, but I I like the smell of this. Yeah, I'm not an IPA fan either. I don't think you're a fan of many beverages except for Coke. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Diet Coke. Steve's got the strong grimace going here. (laughs) It's got the the 
it's making me pucker a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's got that it's got that classic hoppy bitterness that you would expect from an IPA. But I got I got to say, like, I don't I don't know. I'm going to take another sip before I, I really weigh in here. I got to think about this one. Maybe because it's only 78 degrees up here in the north. Maybe that's yeah, why I'm not hot enough. Here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not hot enough. Yeah. You know, I do think I I realized this as we were sitting down to re- record that I had a really lost opportunity, which is I could have put a pint glass in the freezer. Ooh. Because I think actually pouring this into a frosted pint glass would have been really tasty. So next time, mm-hmm. I am totally going to do that. I actually like this. I, I'm not a huge IPA fan, but I, I like this one. It's good. Yeah. I I appreciate how, like, light bodied it is so it's it's not like super thick or dense um it's definitely got that hoppy bitterness that you would expect with an ipa i think i had hoped that maybe there would be less bitter and more fruity with the cold fermentation but i don't know really how beer works other than just the mechanics of the basic process but it's not bad i mean on a hot day knocking back one of these after mowing the lawn or something i could be okay with it yeah it would definitely make me forget about the heat yeah <laughs> you'd be thinking about, <laughs> think about like how bitter this is <laughs> well i yeah. so i wonder actually what food so ipas like we'll frequently have ipas with like spicy food right because it yeah. like balances out a little bit because it's a stronger flavor but what like what would you put this with is there food you think that might make somebody who's not a huge IPA fan, like it balance the flavors better? I mean, something like this, it, it's a little bit harder to do than like, you know, a, a stout or or even an ale or something more medium bodied. Just because it's so light bodied, you have to be careful about what, what I, I think you have to be careful about what you pair this with. It's really bitter, but it it's that bitterness isn't backed up by like full bodiedness or acidity or anything. So it has to be lighter foods. Um, I could see this working well with like a, a fried piece of fish or like fish tacos or something like, um, I think it, I think it could stand up to that. Okay. Without you losing it, um, or losing the flavor of the beer or the food. Um, but honestly to me, like when I drink this, I don't wish that I had food to go with it. Um, which, which happens sometimes. It's getting amber. See? so bitter to make Eric cough. Yeah, I'm, le- I'm leaving it in. I can't breathe. I'm leaving I tried it in. That's so part hard. of the review. I was like trying to hold in my cough because you're recording. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to chase mine with some Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I actually think it does have a decent, it's subtle. It probably could be fruitier. Yeah. But for an IPA, I do kind of get a grapefruit note from it. Yeah. Hmm. So like yeah. the fish tacos with like a grapefruit or a citrus salsa would be good. Mm-hmm. So, one of the one of the fun things about doing this podcast with beverages is is we don't always get to just ship one of these to our our homes, and so regularly it's like six packs or twelve packs that end up going. And so Steve had this whole thing to share. I think Steve, <laughs> some members of your family tried this beer before you got to try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My mother-in-law came in to wa- uh, let the dog out. We were gone, and uh, she she grabbed one, and I think she thought it was like a seltzer water or something, you know, like a sparkling water. And she uh, took a drink and thought it was the nas- 
the nastiest thing she's ever had. And she's not like, she doesn't drink beer ever, you know? <laughs> and it was probably a really big, like if it's hot out yeah. and you think it's water, you probably yeah. take a really big drink. <laughs> and then my father-in-law came in like a week later and, and did the same thing. And he thought it was pretty nasty too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I was introducing someone to beer, I, this is not the beer I would hand them. No. I honestly don't know what beer I would hand them, but I know it wouldn't be this one. Right. Right. <laughs> I will say, like, transitioning a little bit to WordCamp US, uh, last year WordCamp US was in San Diego. And when we go places, I really like to try local beers. Mm -hmm. And uh, in San Diego, it was all IPAs. Mm -hmm. And they are definitely more, like, like I said, I don't normally drink IPAs, but I, like, tried to drink some. Yeah. Because I was like, I want to try the local stuff. I don't want to drink, like, Bud Light or something, you know. Yeah. Uh, but this year uh, at WordCamp US, it was in DC, and they had like more like ales. I noticed mm -hmm. it's it's interesting, like regionally how beers happen. But I, I appreciated this year's WordCamp US beverages more than last year's. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. So, so should we talk about WordCamp US? Let's do it. Yeah, this was my first uh, WordCamp US in many years and also my first ever Contributor Day. So maybe we can start with Contributor Day. Yeah, I also, so it was not my first Contributor Day, but I was the table lead for the accessibility team. And it was the first time I did that. I was super nervous, but it ended up being not as scary as it sounds. So if anyone is out there thinking about leading a table during Contributor Day, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> I was as little worried. I think it helped that we had some other seasoned people from the accessibility team. So what we did was we did sort of a divide and conquer and um, Joe Dolson and Alex Stein were there. And so they had a table and I was just like, I'm going to send all the developers there. <laughs> so people who want to know about patching things, I, I don't patch things. Yeah. So I was like, I'll send them there. They'll tell them what to do. And then at our table... Um, we did testing. So we had some people who were interested in coming, but they didn't know how to test. So that was sort of fun. I like showed them how to test. They were all on Mac computers and most of them had never turned on voiceover. So we did a quick like how to use voiceover demo, which was really fun. And then uh, we tested the new 2024 theme because they that was announced on that day, I think, or the day before. And so we did some accessibility testing on it, logged some github issues it still needs some testing maybe not by the time this episode comes out uh, so i don't know you you were at the dev table yeah. steve what was your thoughts on on that table during contributor day no, i mean i thought it was good i think uh it's a little overwhelming at first right like you think you're going to get in there and you're going to either test a patch or create a patch and you'd be a contributor all all in one day right it's it's limited time like i in in all i don't know how many hours you know you got four or five hours in total there right so um at our table we you know we had alex stein and he was i mean he was blasting away at testing patches and stuff and um he was actually helping me a lot uh getting a local environment of gutenberg set up i got a local environment of core set up which was pretty straightforward. Um, Gutenberg was a little bit more of a challenge to get set up local. And then- Why was that? 
What's different about the environment? The documentation for CORE was better than the documentation for Gutenberg. Okay, so we need people to contribute to documentation. Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, on the, especially, like, on the, Gutenberg is, you know, on GitHub. So, uh, uh, maybe on that homepage, maybe if the documentation could be updated with, you know, the, st the you know, quick steps, the NPM uh, commands that you need to run to get it up and running. So, I, I leaned on Alex a little bit uh, for some of those commands and, uh, so I got both of those core environments set up. I was able to run them in tandem. I guess previously there used to be issues with running both at the same time. I don't know if they used to run over the same port locally or not. But uh, so I got those rolled up and I started diving into Gutenberg. Uh, you know, Amber had suggested maybe we look at the table block and maybe adding uh, vertical header rows and um, but. You dive into this is my dream, everyone. Yeah, yeah. I want the core table block to actually be capable of making yeah, yeah. really solid accessible tables. Because one of the major problems that we come across all the time in our audits is people don't have row headers on their tables. And you can go listen to our episode all about tables if you want to hear more about yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But you dive in in the Gutenberg and you quickly realize that, you know, maybe making that change is not all that difficult, but then there's deprecation. So the deprecation file for that block is much much larger than the actual <laughs> the actual code that does it because you have to consider backwards compatibility. So I quickly realized that a, a patch for that was not going to happen within a few hours. But I, I would consider it a success that I was able to just get familiar familiar with you know the core environment with the Gutenberg environment, getting getting them both pulled down running in composer on my local environment i mean i think that's a huge first step and then uh getting on the uh, accessibility slack and like like the like this morning they had the what do they call it amber the bug scrub, bug scrub. yeah there you go it's a cool name uh that's every friday at um 10 a.m u.s central time yeah so so just you know, so this would be the first time that I was paying attention to that. And uh, I was in there just kind of lurking and, and watching and seeing if there's some, some way I can contribute or that I could, you know, provide some information to add value to the, the team there. So I think it's, if you're thinking about getting involved in contributing, I think it's, you know, baby steps to get there. And, uh, you know, there was one ticket that was raised this morning that I think I might be able to uh, look at and co contribute some time to if you know I have free time <laughs> but uh, it's always hard when you're working on your own services and products but yeah yeah well so you and I had an episode a while ago with Joe Dolson where he came on and he talked about contributing to WordPress I mean I think I think it's hard right finding that balance but at some point if you just sort of say I'm going to do this I think this is important I'm just going to make time for it yeah um, I mean, that's a little bit like the way it is for us with the meetup. We talked for a while about running WordPress accessibility meetup. And then we didn't ever take any action because it felt like, you know, give where are we going to squeeze out the time? Yeah. And then we finally were like, rip off the Band-Aid. Podcast was the same way, right? Yeah. It's just like, we're just, just do say, it. This is. This is when we're going to start. This is how we're going to do it. We're just going to set a deadline. We're going to figure it out, and we're going to do it then. So yeah, and it 
I it doesn't always monetarily make sense, right? But I think there's a there's a bigger purpose here, right? Like we're trying to get back to the community the the best we can, but well, and I mean, when it comes to contributing to accessibility in WordPress, that really it flies with our mission. Yeah. You know, we're a certified B Corp. We're not always one hundred percent about profits, right? We're trying to also do good things in the world and make a difference for people. And and I do think, you know, if we can improve the accessibility in the software itself, think about how many people use that software and how many people we can impact. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyone who's listening and they want to be get interested, it's not scary <laughs> if you want to get involved. Yeah. Uh, maybe it takes a few it's, steps to get set up. It's a little scary. It, it, but it, the scary it, part is, yeah. the scary part is how quickly I got editor access to the WordPress docs website. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, Chris, you were at the documentation table. Yeah. How, how was that? Uh, it was good. And shout out to Drew Janes, who encouraged me to do that instead of the WordPress.tv team. Um, I enjoyed myself over there uh, on the docs team. So I, I spent, like Steve kind of alluded to, right? You, there's, there's the ramp up time if you're not an experienced contributor, um, just getting in all the systems, figuring out what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it um, and getting everything set up. But now I'm all set up and I'm in the doc slack and I'm getting pinged about it, right? And so now I'm, I'm that much more likely to, um, when I have some downtime, go back and be like, hey, is there a, you know, a docs issue I can go fix right mm -hmm. um but i i did my goal was just can i can i identify one you know documentation issue that i feel like i am qualified to go fix um and i went i found one and i did um and i've i have my paranoid brain has me checking github like every three days where my comment is still lingering and the issue is still open <laughs> and nobody in charge of docs has yet reviewed my contribution which is already live right um but uh, I keep going back and checking to make sure nobody like hates what I did or is yelling at me. But but so far, um, so far, fingers crossed, um, that w has not manifested. Um, although what what I will say, um, and this this kind of brings us back to some conversations with Joel Dos Dolson and like getting the accessibility team more ingrained like the docs team is when i went in to the open issue that i decided to tackle in docs and this is like every issue on the docs team there's at the very top there is a list of um basically like i, th I think there their issues or pull requests i think it might be pull requests in github um in wordpress core or, or wherever right mm -hmm. whatever's being documented or gutenberg um and you can go read all of those patch notes and they include screenshots exactly what was changed about you know whatever they were modifying in their pull request and then you basically cross-reference what was changed with what's in the current documentation and you just make sure that the documentation doesn't need to change so i had to update a bunch of stuff with the one i selected and basically it was a it was a partial rewrite with brand new screenshots for everything because of how the particular block changed but um my understanding is the accessibility team doesn't have anything like that like they don't have um on their on their issues or like in their in their um in their section of github however that works right they don't have um like nobody i guess raises like issues like they do with the docs team where it's like hey 
you know, we, we have these pull requests that may have a front end or back end accessibility impact. Someone from the accessibility team needs to review these. It seems like the accessibility team is just sometimes approached in an ad hoc way, like, hey, we should probably call them in for this. Um, and it would be much nicer if there could be kind of that level of connection um, where it's connected to individual pull requests. Um, and that was something wow. I was talking to Joe about. But what do you like? Please weigh in because I'm I'm brand new, brand new contributor to WordPress. So this episode of Accessibility Craft is sponsored by Equalize Digital Accessibility Checker, the WordPress plugin that helps you find accessibility problems before you hit publish. A WordPress native tool, Accessibility Checker provides reports directly on the post edit screen. Reports are comprehensive enough for an accessibility professional or developer, but easy enough for a content creator to understand. Accessibility Checker is an ideal tool to audit existing WordPress websites, find accessibility problems during new builds, or monitor accessibility and remind content creators of accessibility best practices on an ongoing basis. Scans run on your server, so there are no per-page fees or external API connections. GDPR and privacy compliant, real-time accessibility scanning. Scan unlimited posts and pages with Accessibility Checker free. Upgrade to a paid version of Accessibility Checker to scan custom post types and password-protected sites. View site-wide open issue reports and more. Download Accessibility Checker free today at equalizedigital.com forward slash accessibility dash checker. Use coupon code ACCESSIBILITYCRAFT to save 10% on any paid plan. Yeah, so, I mean, none of us were at Community Summit, but I got some, you know, secondhand information <laughs> about Community Summit. And I do know that was one of the discussion topics, which was how can other teams think about accessibility and bring accessibility in more easily? I mean, there's not really a... Like the, the docs team, the way that works is some of the docs actually are like they sync off of GitHub. So you submit a PR and then it goes like that's how it pulls it onto the website. So I think that operates a little differently. Accessibility team, really, it's well, there's track, which is WordPress core. And then there's GitHub, which is Gutenberg. Yeah. And like the 2024 theme is on GitHub. And there's some other stuff there. Uh, but really, it's it's hashtags or uh tags i don't know why i said hashtags but like tags right like so we're tagging issues as accessibility um but i do think sometimes maybe there's not as much of getting accessibility earlier in the process so i had mentioned that we did some testing on 2024 and one of the things that came up on that theme and there were a few issues that we opened like they have the site title set to an H1. So it, so the H1 on every page would be the name of the site, not the title of the page. And the title of the page is the H2. So that's not really like that happened in dev. But the design has a lot of these asterisks that they're using just as decorative accents. And some of them are quite large. Like it's, a, it's an asterisk in 250 pixel font, right? But, the, but it's literally just typed in a paragraph block. Hmm. And then they've used CSS to position it or they've made it light gray so you can barely see it. But a screen reader going through that page is like asterisk reading out the content. Asterisk reading right. out the content. Asterisk. 
you know, and and that's an interesting thing because they they make Figma files for the designs for the themes, and I'm guessing they didn't think to ask anyone on the accessibility team before they built it out. Hey, would you go look at the designs for 2024, and um, and give us feedback either on how we should achieve this or if there's an accessibility problem in the design. Like one of the things that I noted is links are not underlined in 2024. Hmm. Uh, now, the challenge is, of course, there have been conversations, well, should accessibility team just be in all the slacks? But there's a lot of different channels for a lot of different teams. And to put that on the small handful of people who are really active contributors to accessibility, which is not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, really, I want to say like four or five. <laughs> it's, it's a small number. To have to monitor everything that every other team is doing that's that's really challenging. And so I think there needs to be more of this other teams maybe thinking of accessibility and being like, even if I don't know about accessibility, I should proactively come out and outreach to the accessibility team. Yeah. Well, that was one thing that um, I don't know if this was Joe's idea or my idea or just something that came out of conversation in general, but we were talking about this problem just over lunch during WordCamp US. And we we were talking about the idea of having an accessibility liaison on every major WordPress contributor team. So someone who can champion accessibility that's embedded with that team. So they're on that team. They're not on the accessibility team, but they're someone who cares about accessibility and can be kind of a point person to um, help advocate for the right timing to pull the accessibility team in or raise things for the accessibility team as possible areas to investigate or issues to help solve yeah i mean again that's probably difficult given the amount of teams that and the amount of people right yeah yeah no it's it's all it's all organized chaos um, <laughs> now that i've that's seen good, it much a, more up close it's a good way to put it you know i i do want to say though like something that really stood out to me and um, so last year, Steve and I went to WordCamp US and I spoke and did a workshop with Alex Stein and there were a couple of other accessibility talks. I feel like just the overall accessibility vibe at WordCamp US this year was significantly yeah. increased or higher. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but like I there were more... And maybe I could be wrong. I haven't, you know, cross-referenced the schedules. But I feel like there were a greater percentage of the talks were accessibility talks this year than there were last year. Uh, I think the fact that NASA was the keynote and they talked about accessibility, uh, that helped because a lot of people went to the NASA keynote because it's a, a big name, right? And so people who might not attend an accessibility talk went to that and they got to hear a little bit about ex- some accessibility. They touched on it at multiple points throughout their presentation, which I thought was nice. Um, and then I just felt like the conversations I was having with people, I wasn't hearing as much of, well, what do you mean you do accessibility? Mm-hmm. I think people, more people seemed to know what accessibility was. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> there was one talk in particular that I that was really good. It was anatomy in a, <laughs> of an accessible navigation menu. <laughs> I was gonna be 
like, are you about to say you're on Toxie? <laughs> Toot my own horn. No, no. Um, how how do you feel about talking on stage at WordCamp? He was like, that was a big room. Yeah. You had When I talked last year, well, first of all, the event was way smaller last year because yeah. of COVID. But also, they had me stuck in some side room that was small. Yeah. And so it's not as nerve wracking, but you were in like one of the biggest rooms. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm a musician. I've played on lots of stages. And actually, the bigger the stage, the better, right? You're more disconnected from the audience the bigger the stage, right? And they had. But when you play, do you have light shining on you and it's dark were, so you can't actually see people's faces? That was exactly what it was at WordCamp US. They had this floodlight. Oh, really? Yeah, because they were filming it for YouTube. We could, we can put a link in the uh, show notes to the uh, to to the talk and then the other talks. They've broken them up into individual uh, YouTube videos. But um, yeah, they had big old floodlights uh, on to light you for the for the YouTube live stream. So yeah, and the room was so huge that like people were so spread out. Like it, I should have done like the church thing, right? Where it's like everybody moved forward, you know, like <laughs> nobody wants to sit in the front pew, you know. It's like but uh Well, I sat in the front. Yeah. Well, I I was like going to make faces no, at you, no, but no, I decided no, to be nice. No, it's always nice to have Amber in the front row of your talk because you may need an, an assist. <laughs> and, and I think you I well, think you only gave me one assist, but uh Oh, I'll, yeah, I only said one thing yeah. in the middle of the Q&A. I think it was like spelling out a link or something. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I didn't. That was on a slide. Yeah. I oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I asked you to read. I like mouth to him. Read the link to your, because you had like a bit.ly link or something. Yeah, to yeah, totally. And you just showed yeah. it. <laughs> but I was thinking about um, Kevin yeah, yeah. from Georgetown was there. He's um, like the IT director or something at Georgetown University, and he's blind. Yep. And I was like, oh, Kevin might want to know where to get the code, too. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel like there's this whole art to giving accessible presentations, and maybe that should yeah. be a, a podcast episode in the future. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think a big takeaway and some of the feedback that I got from my talk was that just I think anytime you give an accessibility talk and you use a screen reader, like it opens people's eyes. Like I got a lot of feedback. Like, yeah. what do, what are you using for the screen reader? You know, how do you get your computer to, to do that? And I think anytime you can integrate that into an accessibility talk, it just opens people's eyes. Like, oh, that's that's how you know somebody that can't see uses a website, right? And I mean, the same as your yours and Alex talk last year, Amber. I mean, that was the same thing, except for it's a lot cooler to see Alex do it because he can do it in like super fast motion. <laughs> like it's like, like he does it so fast. I have no idea what screen reader is saying, but he, he can interpret it. It's like speed reading, right? Like mm -hmm. speed lit. Yeah. He's probably got it on like four. I know. Speed or something. I know. <laughs> but. He told me once I asked him, um, about the YouTube videos or the podcast episodes with meetup recordings and stuff. And he said even sometimes when he puts YouTube speed as high as YouTube will go, he thinks it's too slow. Really? Wow. <laughs> it's definitely like a superpower, you know? Yeah. I will say, like, as I've played around with screen readers a little more, I've been able to get, I mean, nowhere near what yeah, he does, yeah. right? But when I first started using it, I feel like I had um, it set at, like, 40% or 50%, and it was very similar to someone talking. And now I get it to go faster because I'm like, I want to test yeah, faster. Yeah. And like, and, <laughs> and, and like, I, I get used to hearing it. Yeah. And you can like, you almost anticipate what it's going to say. Like you hear the first few words, you're like, no, I don't need that tab. And I, 
in my talk, you may have noticed that that there was a couple of times where I was, I was running the screen reader and I'm tabbing through the page and like, I'm like in my head, I know what this is. I don't need to hear it. Right. But then I was like, ah, I need to stop and wait and let it read everything out for the audience to kind of understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, on, on the WordCamp note, one of the other things that I thought was improved this year um, and, you know, I've had a few chats with people that comparing last year to this year. Last year, there were some challenges and people may or may not remember um, Michelle Frechette wrote a post afterwards about her experience with lack of accessibility at the venue mm. last year. Like she got trapped inside a bathroom uh, because they didn't have a way for her to open it while she was in her mobility scooter. Um, and... Uh, I think she also, they didn't have an accessible hotel room for her, so she wasn't able to shower. Mm. Um, and and this year, it seemed like they, so after that happened, there was a lot of work that went out in the WordPress community, and they drafted guidelines for in-person organizers to talk about, you know, what they should look for in venues. Um, you know, like having ramps to get on stage, like don't assume that everyone can walk upstairs to get on a stage uh, and and things about doors and hotel rooms and that kind of stuff. And I did hear some more generally positive about this current venue that it seemed more accessible. Um, another thing that I appreciated both last year and this year was um, there were volunteers who volunteered to be Alex's guide hmm. for the day. And uh, Connor, I'm going to give a shout out to Connor. I don't remember Connor's last name, but he did it both last year and this year during WordCamp US. And he helped Alex get around, which I think is really nice. Um, of course, during parties and stuff, he, he hung with his friends and we all helped him do that as well. But I, I feel like there has been some positive movement towards making WordCamps themselves more accessible. They always have. And for a long time, they've had live captions, I think. They even had captions back when we went to WordCamp US in like 2015, I want to say. But um, but I do appreciate that. And it seems like there's been more improvement along that line. Yeah, I finally did get my Michelle and me selfie during kind of the, the beginning party um, before the event. And she and I had a short conversation um, and, and that post that you mentioned came up. And uh, I don't want to put words in Michelle's mouth or anything, but it seemed to me like she had a more positive experience this time um, than she did previously. So kudos to the organizers of this year's event for yep. trying to do better. Yep. The, yeah. the the hotel was massive. Like, it was just huge. So that probably lent itself to, you know, some more. Yeah, you... The place last year was real tight. Everything was real close and well and last year it was almost like a, a vintagey style motel yeah yeah so maybe it it was built like pre like the doorways weren't as wide mm -hmm. or like that kind of stuff but uh i did notice or i did note that this is the first WordCamp us in a long time where they haven't announced where the next one is going to be yeah and didn't matt yeah. say something what did he say steve do you remember when they were doing the future of wordpress he, talk said, he said something about you know the venue, you know, and he goes, if he said something like, if we come back, like it was, it was like <laughs> a statement like that. So it's, and they didn't announce. So I'm assuming they're probably considering other places. I'm not sure why, but like the, the 
the vendor hall was so far away from all the talks. I think I think that might be what it was, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the other thing that always comes up, and this is tangentially related to accessibility, um, is the the price. So we ended up, our team got an Airbnb. Yeah. And the price of our Airbnb with a house with three bedrooms where everyone had their own bathroom, nobody even had to share a bathroom, was the same price as one room <laughs> at that hotel, which was why, you know, we did it. Also, we had a kitchen. It was like kind of yeah, nice yeah. having more space. But um, but I have heard people say, you know, that that can be challenging for some attendees, especially, you know, they don't pay speakers. They don't pay organizers. Everyone's doing it, you know, volunteers, like everyone's volunteering their time, which is wonderful to, you know, support the project and all of that. But when you have it in a, in a really expensive city, that can sometimes stop people from being able to attend. Yeah. Yeah, that, so. that actually reminds me of a conversation that I had this week from someone who's, uh, I don't want to give him away, but he's very high up in IT in a very large and well-known government organization. And he came to WordCamp US and he was telling me privately in a call that he kind of left the event feeling disappointed. The reason that he left the event feeling disappointed is he was going to the event hoping to get just piles of of education and how to do cool shit with wordpress mm. just like back to back for hours on end right just tons of education right and um he he said he to him it felt way more like a social and networking event and so he was asking me he was like chris is this like how it normally is and my first response was well i'm not the right person to ask because i've been to two of these in the last you know seven years but or however long it's been, yeah, like seven years. Um, but, but I don't know. What do you all think about that? Like, I didn't look at a lot of the talk titles. I mean, I was literally there to do what he said he was disappointed was happening, which was networking and yeah. and like meeting people. But yeah, I w- yeah. So okay, we can we can give a little. We did sponsor WordCamp US, so we did not attend many talks. I try. I went to some accessibility talks because I'm interested in the accessibility talks. I like listening to them. I went to Jen Harris's talk. Um, I went to uh, Daniel Zakara's talk. Steve's. Uh, I went to Steve's, of course. <laughs> and then we were at the NASA stuff because we needed to be at the NASA stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, I didn't go to very. Did he go to talks like the entire time, or did he just notice that a lot of people weren't going to talks? Yeah. I didn't dig into it too much because it wasn't really the the driving focus of the call. But um, mm-hmm. I wanted to I wanted to pass that along, yeah. like just in case someone in the WordCamp organizer planning sphere, which I mean, frankly, we are because we run a meetup and we've helped run events, right? But like that was someone who is incredibly influential in a very high place in government who left the event disappointed because he didn't get like the information that he would have found valuable. Yeah. And I think what's interesting to think about um, from that perspective is like when, when planning future WordCamps is how do we make WordCamp as valuable as it possibly can be 
not just for the people who are already embedded in the community and want to network and want to, you know, uh, promote what they're doing and, and promote the things that they care about, but also like the people who are just coming in, who are just becoming interested in WordPress as a CMS, whether they're young, old, high, high influence, low influence, like making that a valuable event for them. Um, and I didn't go read the full list of talks that were available, so I can't speak to this really intelligently in any sense. Like, I don't know. Maybe there were a bunch of, like, really educational, like, intro to WordPress how-to talks that he just straight up missed. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but Well, but maybe yeah. he also wasn't looking for intro talks. Yeah, I mean. You're going to yeah. say something. Yeah, I can, sp- I can speak to this a little bit because I've I've experienced a little bit of the, the same. I think what happens is, you know, you said he's high up in IT, right? So in my head yeah. he's technical right i think a lot of time at, at wordpress events like this that the talks are not very technical and uh um and well, yours was mine was but <laughs> but but i will say that a lot of technical people developers are not very good speakers right and uh, a lot of people that are very good speakers a lot of times are not technical so you can end up with people that are just very good at giving speeches and very good at writing, you know, submitting talks that are, uh, you know, appealing that aren't going to go technical. I don't know if they, they didn't necessarily have a developer track, right? This year. No. So. No, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule right now and that's what I've been at ones before where they said, this is a business track. This is a developer track. This is the marketing track or something like that. Plus the format, the format doesn't always lend itself to technical talks. You got 40 minutes, you know, like, you know, maybe less 35 minutes with 10 minutes of Q and a, so you don't really have a lot of time to go super deep. Um, I mean, there were a lot of accessibility talks at WordCamp US this year. And I think a lot of them touched on it. A lot of them come and it took like a, a from a design angle. There were different angles. I tried to be the one that was the technical angle. So I think that accessibility itself was kind of hit on a lot of levels. But um, yeah, it's it's hard. And I think sometimes at those v- events, it is about like community and networking. And I think as an attendee, sometimes you gotta you gotta search out those little points of inspiration, right? You have to think like if there's like one thing from each talk that I can take away and that inspires me to do a little something more. Maybe it's on the technical side, but yeah, it's hard to get like a real in-depth technical primer on anything within that short time frame. And like I said, developers don't speak very well, right? Like, and developers yeah. don't want to get on a stage a lot of time and talk about their code. So, so what I will say, and this is maybe something that we should probably go put feedback in the uh, yeah. <laughs> WordCamp US Slack channel and tell them. But like thinking about that, what he said, and then thinking about some of the other conferences that we go to, because we go to conferences outside of WordPress, um, some of which are tangentially WordPress related, like WP Campus, and some of which are accessibility, so like Access U. Uh, and, and I will say, like, I think what what the challenges with a WordCamp, and this was a big event. It had over 2,000 registrants, I think. Um, They're trying to provide content for a lot of different people with a lot of different objectives and a lot of different skill sets. Mm -hmm. And because they're also, the WordPress Foundation, the Community Foundation wants it to be available to everyone, there's a $50, it's like $25 a day maximum price that you can charge to attendees. 
uh, which is wonderful. But I do think that that can sometimes, like it maybe brings in people who are just getting started. And so as a result, you need to have more of that beginner level content. And when I compare that too to some of these other more focused, like WP Campus is all about WordPress in higher ed. Mm -hmm. So it is very tight on WordPress and very tight on a very specific industry. And the first day of the event, they do all day workshops. So like I read one, I led one just on how to test. And I was able, instead of doing a, a 40 minute, like, can I really tell you how to test something? I had five hours. Yeah. I think it was five hours. And so we could really go in and there was like time for people to actually do something effective. Um, at Access U, their shortest talks are 90 minutes long. Some of them are much longer, but and they're all accessibility related. So it's very targeted. And so I think, I think, you know, maybe the thought for somebody who is more advanced like that is that, yeah, I'm not sure if a WordCamp is the best place to go, but perhaps that's also a problem with WordCamps mm. and the fact that we're just making city-based WordCamps or geographic-based WordCamps instead of like, this is the accessibility WordCamp or this is the enterprise WordCamp. Mm. And it's national and people come from everywhere, but all we're going to do is talk about enterprise at this WordCamp. Mm. And and like that was a big thing with our meetup. I had to go through a whole process to get them to improve us having the accessibility meetup because that's a topic-based meetup. And until I submitted that request to get it approved in the official meetup program, they had always said you can only have city-based meetups. Mm. You cannot have topic-based meetups. And and so I think like the challenge with that then is you don't build a community around a topic. And so then where are you going to get a, a whole conference around a topic? You're not. Yeah. Right. Um, at least not within the official word camp sphere. But like like that could be interesting, right? Like, uh, you know, word camp for government or WP government. Like there's WP campus. Mm. Um, but is that going to be part of the official WordPress? I don't know. Yeah. It might not. It might end up, somebody has to get motivated, right? Like Rachel Cherry, she got really interested and she started WP Campus and she made it what it, what it is now. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's hard. But that's what I think. I think that's the difference. Yeah. That was a way more comprehensive answer than I was expecting. Thank you, Edward. <laughs> <laughs> thought about this a little bit because of just like the content and that stuff and and it is interesting you know like we go and we hardly go to talks we're there to socialize network we planned meetings in advance um but we also went to like wordpress vip had a panel discussion mm -hmm. and a whole separate event that they scheduled next to um it was like a public sector event and it was adjacent to or right before yeah. <laughs> WordCamp. Because everybody was going to be there in D.C., but it was not a WordCamp event. Um, and so I kind of feel like that's the one thing about, you know, the community is it's always going to have to be more broad. And so if you want something more targeted, you sort of have to start it. Yeah. And that's maybe the downside of open source. <laughs> <laughs> it's only as good as you make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So you mentioned we sponsored the event, right? So... We did. What are, what are your guys' observations or experience in sponsoring? Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I like that answer. Okay, I think the 
I left Washington D.C. very, very happy. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that is like solely the credit of the WordCamp U.S. organizer team. I'm not trying to denigrate what they did because obviously they put on a successful event. Um, I do wish the sponsor hall had been closer to where everything was happening. Yeah. That's probably my one piece of feedback for them. But I feel like we just had we had kind of a confluence of many different things that all were that all lent themselves to accessibility being topical, our company and our tooling being mentioned, and then we had dedicated space and dedicated meetings happening around the clock for two days straight. And so for me, from a sales perspective, I got I got home and I I mean you all saw the screenshot I posted in our private company chat room. It's like it's like twenty or thirty inquiries were in on Monday, and I've been getting two to three a day every single day since since the event. Yeah, um, and I will say is incredible. Also, we've had more like the we so people can get our free plugin off WordPress.org, but they can also get it off our website. And if you get it off our website, we give it to you with easy digital downloads, which is the same way we sell the Pro plugin. And then we have a a Zapier integration that sends just like, oh, someone got a free thing yep. or someone bought something, a, just so our team can see a, it where we're hanging it's out. It's a dopamine and it's hit, open for right? Everyone's dopamine. Team. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a dopamine hit. Uh, and I will say, like both free opt-ins and purchases, like the cadence was up. Yeah, totally. Quite a bit during WordCamp US than it was, uh, you know, pretty like on an off week where we're not doing something like that. Mm -hmm. I do think, you know, maybe some of the some of the messaging I got, like email communication could have been slightly improved, but uh, I felt like, you know, they they did what they needed to do. One of our team members, Baldinder, was on the the sponsor team. Uh, So so, you know, if I had a question, yeah. I would always just ask him at Basecamp. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and to, to hey, their Paul team's Dinder, credit, do you know I, got, about this? <laughs> I had multiple um, organizers checking in with me multiple times per day, like at our booth or just in the hallway, just being like, hey, how's it going? How's it going? You know, do you need anything? Like, so I, I think I think they they did. They did a very good job. Um, also, uh, shout out to the uh, the Gaylord Nationals kitchen team. Um from a former chef, like all the food was very good um, both days. Uh, and I, I've definitely had way worse food at WordCamps. Um, and this one kind of <laughs> was a standout for me. Yeah. Well, I like that a lot of the stuff was kind of like build your own. Like they'd have salads, but you it was just like lettuce here. And then it was almost like a salad yeah, bar, yeah. I guess, uh, which is nice because then people can pick what they want and leave off yeah. what they don't. It was a little fancy. I'm, you know, I'm the kind of guy that's okay with the Chick-fil-A box, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah well so so let's let's tangent for a minute because we definitely took you out of your comfort zone with restaurants oh man yeah (laughs) so but it ended up being good right yeah i mean i'm about as versed in fancy restaurants as i am in craft beers but uh (laughs) it's like (laughs) no like well what do you like better chicken at the really fancy traditional italian restaurant or Chilling cold IPA. <laughs> I'll take the chicken, but uh, no, no, it's good. It's it, I think that you know if you have a professional chef at your side when you go to these restaurants, such as Chris, uh, I think that that's definitely beneficial. And uh, 
Oh, I still sometimes. I'm like looking at the menu, having yeah. a hard time. I'm like, Chris, what should I order? Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I think my favorite part about that Italian restaurant, I forget the name of it. We could shout it out. but uh, Officina? Officina um, in, in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Was, very, very and the good. Chef, and the chef formerly worked at a Michelin star restaurant. So Ooh. that's the level of restaurant yeah. it is. But, uh, yeah, I got probably the most tame thing on the menu I probably could get for somebody that's not versed in super fancy restaurants. And I couldn't really understand anything on the menu. <laughs> it was all in Italian. Yeah, yeah. So, or, <laughs> but, uh, no, I enjoyed, uh, you know, uh, Chris helping me pair, you know, the the wine with the meal and, like, kind of thinking about that, you know, like, as I'm eating and, and sipping the wine, like, thinking how they go together and stuff it's kind of a new thing for me i i liked it it was fun uh, i i had a chardonnay mm-hmm. right and yeah you had a you had a chardonnay um and yeah some, and, and i remember Chris it was like had, a chicken dish uh, i had octopus yeah um, yeah we can just say he had something that came out it wasn't even sliced it was just a tentacle laying on his plate everyone <laughs> Yeah. The rest of us at the table were just like, oh, yeah. I mean, I guess it had stuff piled on top of it. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was brave. That was, I mean, I'm not one to take pictures of food, right? Like, but I had to take a picture of that to show my family. And uh, they were all thoroughly disgusted. <laughs> None of them wanted to go there and try uh, octopus. No. no. Yeah. yeah. So. But it's good to push out. No. It's good to push outside your comfort zone. I appreciate you guys helping me do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's fun to get together as a team, too, in person. I think that's the other part that made you WordCamp US special for me in particular. Amber and Steve, I know you all have been together in person a couple times this year, but for me, it had been literal years. Also, shout out to uh, our marketing person, Paula, who also came to the event and held down our booth for two full days while we all ran around and had meetings and did talks. Um, she was yeah, instrumental. She- she also she also brought us rum from the Dominican Republic where mm. she's from, uh, which was which was fun, and I managed and dark to, chocolate yeah. and dark chocolate single origin dark chocolate that was made in the Dominican Republic. So that was really special and nice of her to bring. Um, but no, all in all, is is a great event. I I don't know that there is much that I would have changed about it. Um, yeah, yeah, I think of all of my word camps and word camp uses. That was my favorite one. Yeah. There's just a lot about it that was really wonderful. The Smithsonian was where the after party yeah, was. That was excellent. I, I super liked that. It was non-alcoholic, which I thought was wonderful. And honestly, like, I think, Chris, you might have spent more time networking, but we got there and I was a little bit like, I'm going to look at exhibits. Yeah. So I just walked around with Joel Dolson. Yeah. <laughs> he and I just looked at stuff and we mostly didn't talk business. And then every once in a while, someone would come up to us and they'd talk to us about accessibility for a little bit. And then we'd be like, why are we talking about accessibility? Let's keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> and then we would talk about animals again. It, 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 <laughs> it was cool. It was refreshing not to be, you know, stuck in a loud, noisy bar, bar. you know, like with everybody mm-hmm. back to back and... Everybody could spread out. That was probably the best after party I've ever been to. Or in that's probably the best event I've ever been to. They did they did that in Philadelphia too. Oh I I yeah. um the WordCamp US in Philadelphia, the one that Chris spoke at. Oh, okay. Um that one was also it was at a museum. A museum um, of some sort. It was like a history museum kinda like that, but I I don't remember what it's called. That was fun. They did have alcohol though, and so there were still just some people who were drinking a lot yeah yeah <laughs> like i just enjoyed that it was just more cash and they had quite tasty desserts and i like desserts. yeah so. yeah yeah they did <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah 
So I think we've maybe successfully talked about WordCamp US and uh, we're not so sure about the drink, but WordCamp US gets major yeah. props from us. So yeah, uh, anybody want to say anything before we sign the off? The drink's a little bitter, but WordCamp US went down smooth. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's our that's our closer. All right. See y'all later. Bye. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to Accessibility Craft. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in your podcast app to get notified when future episodes release. You can find Accessibility Craft on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And if building accessibility awareness is important to you, please consider rating Accessibility Craft five stars on Apple Podcasts. Accessibility Craft is produced by Equalize Digital and hosted by Amber Hines, Chris Hines, and Steve Jones. Steve Jones composed our theme music. Learn how we help make thousands of WordPress websites more accessible at equalizedigital.com.